You are listening to the Next Best Picture podcast, and this is our review of Les Miserables. I'm cold. Would you let me stay here for tonight? I know who you are. You're Jean Valjean. Go on your way. I had a dream my life would be. Help me, please. I have a child so different from this hell I'm living. So never know from what it seems. Where is your child? Where's the child, Cosette? Tomorrow you'll be worlds away. Who was that girl? Cosette. And yet, with you, my world has started. But he never saw me Alright everybody, you were just listening to the trailer for Les Miserables, and the story is as follows. After 19 years as a prisoner, Jean Valjean is freed by Javert, the officer in charge of the prison workforce. Valjean promptly breaks parole, but later uses money from stolen silver to reinvent himself as a mayor and factory owner. Javert vows to bring Valjean back to prison. Eight years later, Valjean be- uh, becomes the guardian of a child named Cosette, after her mother's death, but Javert's relentless pursuit means that peace will be a long time coming. The film is starring Hugh Jackman, Russell Crowe, Anne Hathaway, Amanda Seyfried, Eddie Redmayne, Helena Bottom Carter, and Sasha Baron Cohen. It is written by William Nicholson, Elaine Boubille, Claude-Michel Schoenberg, and Herbert Kretzmeier. Directed by Tom Hooper. Here to join me today for this 2012 podcast Patreon review, I have Nicole Ackman. Bonjour. Oh, <laughs> mocking my French. I see. Okay. Yeah. Dan Bear. There is a castle on a cloud. Boy, oh boy. If I wasn't going to uh, jump to my death uh, before this podcast, I think I might by the end of it all. <laughs> Lauren LaMagna. Hello. And Cody Derricks. And I'm Cosette. Oh, my <laughs> God. <laughs> That was a spot-on impression. I know. That was so good. <laughs> uh, well, the time has come for us here at the Next Best Picture podcast, with the Next Best Theater team, might I add, to finally, once and for all, come together and nip it in the butt and talk about Tom Hooper's adaptation of Les Miserables. <sighs> okay. 
So lots of context to start off with here. Uh, because I am surrounded by so many experts, I figured why not let someone here set the stage that knows this property better than I? So Dan Bear, we can actually like start off with you just in terms of what is this show? What is this story? What is it all about? And how did Tom Hooper come to direct this damn thing? And then we can start off with your initial thoughts on what you think of Lame is Rob. Sure. So Les Miserables is a musical. Um, it was originally a concept musical by Alain Bouvier and Claude-Michel Schoenberg, and it was originally in French. Then it was translated to English, and the theater producer Cameron McIntosh staged it, and it was a massive, massive hit in London, and then it came to Broadway, and it was a massive, massive hit on Broadway. It was part of the British invasion of musicals in the 80s, along with Andrew Lloyd Webber's The Phantom of the Opera and Cats, that just were these big, mega musical productions, they were called, um, because they had these massive sets and were really focusing on the theatrical spectacle and that was a you know little bit of a trend for a while there um in the 80s to early 90s on broadway and because the musical was so popular they naturally wanted to make a movie out of it and Mr. McIntosh held back those rights until he found a director that he thought could give the film a freshness to make the material feel new to everyone who loved the movie. He didn't want to just do a straight adaptation of the musical. He wanted to do something fresh and new. And this guy named Tom Hooper came along and said, you know what I think will make it feel fresh and new? If we record all the singing live on set. Oh. And... You like what I added there for dramatic effect? <laughs> yes. And thus, <laughs> this movie, if you can call it that, was born. So Tom Hooper, right before this uh, came out, two years earlier, had also won... Best Picture and Best Director for The King's Speech. And before that, had won at the Emmys for John Adams. Yeah, so he was really a hot commodity at this point and really the talk of the town. And I definitely think there was a fair share of goodwill to his name before this and subsequent releases hereafter. But heading into this movie, on paper... This was a massive Oscar player with a ton of prestige, a lot of big names behind it, including a mixture of unknown actors, Broadway stars, and Hollywood stars as well. So you had a lot of elements coming together for this adaptation that, like you said, Dan, had been many, many years in the making and was very hotly anticipated. So what do you think? Um, it's interesting. When I saw Limiz on Broadway, um, when I was, I want to say I was around like 12, 13, 14, somewhere around there. And I thought it was one of the best shows I have ever seen on stage. Um, the way that that show is staged with the turntable and everything is just, it's thrilling 
to watch and the music is it's very good sort of like introduction to leitmotif and themes and how musical themes match uh, story themes in a song and it's very simple but it's very well done and i remember like all being a theater kid like all of my friends were very into this movie in December of 2012 and we all like went to the theater with our little French flags that we had made to wave during the barricade scene and something about seeing these you know extreme close-ups on everyone's faces when they're singing the same goddamn song for two and a half hours on repeat sapped everything that I had loved about the musical out of it. There were some good performances in it, but I was left thinking, like, like this made me think that the material was bad. <laughs> because the film was, it, I, it just did not work on film, this material. It didn't, it was not meant to work in this close-up cinematic environment. Watching it again today for the first time since 2012 i i think the film is a little bit better than i gave it credit for back in 2012 but i still don't think it's great and i'm not even sure that it's good i think that for everything that it gets wrong it almost like accidentally stumbles into something that is actually really good. And I think that as many of the cast members that should frankly have not been in this at all, there are just as many who are indelible and, you know, give somewhat definitive takes on some of these characters. I'm I'm very at odds with myself about this movie. I just know that I don't think it's great. But I, I don't, I still, I don't know if it's good or bad or if I'm just indifferent to it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You've watched them in unforgettable adventures, love affairs, and tragedies. Now it's time to hear their own remarkable stories. From the makers of Death of a Rockstar and Death of a Sports Star, this is Death Ready. of a Film Star. And Starring Heath Ledger, Marilyn Monroe, Chadwick Boseman, Robin Williams, Carrie Fisher, and Bruce Lee. Search for Death of a Film Star in your podcast app. You've seen them tell stories. Now it's time to tell theirs. Hey there! I'm Hannah. And I'm Audrey. We are a sister filmmaking duo and co-hosts of Sleepover Cinema, our show where we analyze the films that created the collective unconscious of the girls, gays, and theys of the late 90s and early 2000s. Princess Diaries, The Cheetah Girls, Aquamarine, Cinderella, the one starring Brandy. We haven't stopped thinking about these movies since we first saw them, and we want you to rewatch them and review them with us. Are these movies as bad as critics would have us believe? Do we even care if they are? We are always unpacking that very question on Sleepover Cinema. Check out Sleepover Cinema wherever you get your podcasts or at evergreenpodcasts.com. See you soon.
I have a feeling there's going to be a lot of conflicting and mixed emotions on this podcast, which leads me to our next opinion here from our very own history buff, Broadway fanatic, film critic, Nicole Ackman. What do you think of Les Mis? The most complicated relationship I've ever had in my life is with this film. To set the stage, Les Mis is my favorite musical. I don't know how many times I've seen it. I lost count at 16. I've seen it on the West End. I've seen it on Broadway. I've seen it on tour. It is everything to me, essentially. And I had just really gotten into Les Mis right around the time that they announced this film after seeing the anniversary concert. And I was so excited. And part of why I was excited is because one of the things I think this film does really well is its entire ensemble is fleshed out with mostly West End performers, most of whom had been in Les Mis or left Les Mis uh, in the West End to go do this film. And so I have, like, part of my conflict with this movie is I don't think it's a good adaptation of Les Mis. I think there are some things it does well. I think, you know, I I love the costuming in it. I think it does a really interesting job of bringing in some things from the book because the musical Les Mis is based on the novel by Victor Hugo from um, 1862. And it brings in some stuff from the book that sort of got left out of the musical, which I think is an interesting approach. At the same time, like, I think it's bad, but it also has some of my favorite performers of all time in it. You know, a lot of these are people that I've met. Um, I've interviewed some of the people who are in this movie. I'm on a first name basis with a couple of the people who are in the ensemble. So I was really into this whenever it came out. I saw it in theaters four times. That said, even at the time, I was like, I am here for these theater people who are in this film. I have been team Hugh Jackman sucks in Les Mis since the first time I saw it, which we'll get into that later. Cody and I have a lot of thoughts. Uh, <laughs> We're holding hands actually right now. We may not be we, the same time. We, 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 we are. So yeah, I, I have really complicated views on this. I watched it again today and I've watched this film several times. I actually wrote a paper on it um, during my first grad degree and it continues to absolutely perplex me how they could have something so right, something so wrong. I'm convinced that everyone who gave a good performance did it in spite of Tom Hooper. Uh, <laughs> and yeah, it is a film that I think I will continue to wrestle with for the like rest of the time that I am on this earth. Or until maybe another adaptation comes along that perfects it. Hopefully. No, even then, because the thing is, like, my attachment to this film is entirely just about the people who are in it. So even then, I will continue to be conflicted. Mm, yeah. Even then, like with Fans from the Opera, this is not the definitive filmed version of it, but the definitive no. filmed version does exist, and it is yep. the concert recording. <laughs> exactly. Which, and the thing is, the concert recording has some of the same ensemble that this yeah, movie does, okay. yep. hence my attachment to it. Including one of the same leads. Yeah, including a yeah. principal actor. Yeah. All right, well, let's hear next from Cody Derricks. Nicole alluded that you have uh, complicated feelings there, Cody. 
Nicole and I have nigh identical feelings to this film, actually. I also am a fan of the stage show. I first saw it on Broadway when I was seven. I've known this property for quite a long time. I was excited for the movie when it came out. When it came out, I kind of unabashedly loved it. I just was really swept up in the music of it all and seeing a musical done relatively well, I think, you know, we can talk about how we feel about it now, but at the time I thought it was done well, and that is always exciting because it is not <laughs> always the case. And something about that just really grabbed onto me. In the years since, obviously, I have come to see the flaws aplenty, and my most recent rewatch for this podcast, which was the first time I watched it in quite a while, I would say the better part of a decade, was probably the least excited I've been to watch it. I definitely picked up on a lot of the flaws. The filmmaking is not good. I think the decision to sing live is pretty uniformly disastrous. I think it robs the film of a musicality that is like part of the reason, obviously, that the stage show was a hit is because the music is loved. I don't know why you would then decide to strip that of its ability to be appreciated in the film by having Hollywood actors thinking they're making groundbreaking acting choices by not singing well. The film, like Nicole said, it gets inordinately better once actual musical theater performers show up in act two, when we get to the barricade until then though, it's a lot of really just not great performances. The music music does not sound good, which in a musical is a problem. I think Hugh Jackman is genuinely terrible in this film and Overall, I just I do have complicated feelings about it. I can't say I don't like it because I I still give it a positive grade and it still is something I'm interested in and will probably return to. There are elements of it that I adore. There are elements of it that I despise. So, yeah, complicated feelings. Wow. I, I almost don't know what to say. I'm almost speechless, Cody. Damn. <laughs> well, when you can't speak anymore in musicals, you sing. So exactly. So sing your feelings. That's the rule. <laughs> That's how it works. Lauren, what about you? I have a very interesting relationship with Lemez. So my dad is a very big um, theater buff, and he likes to introduce me when he realized that I loved theater. He loves to introduce me at what he considers as age-appropriate times. And Lemez closed on Broadway when I was around six, so he never took me to Lemez. So his response to that closing was to get rid of all the Lamez stuff until I can experience a full production of Lamez in any way that he can find it, whether it be a touring production, whether it be an eventual film. And the film was the first thing that he found. So this was my first exposure to the full length version of Lamez when it came out. So when I first saw it at like 14 or 15, when I was a freshman in on um, my theater-based high school where I was doing 20 hours, literally building a turning table and learning all about, you know, music theory and theater acting and being really intense. Um, I loved this movie so much. Everyone in my company in my high school was super obsessed with it. We would sing it during um, dinner breaks. And some people even bought the book and we would be reading out chapters to each other. That's how much we loved this movie. And then in my spare time one day, I decided to rent the 25th anniversary concert. And I call this my lame is awakening when I realized what lame is actually kind of was. So, yeah, I have a really weird experience with this film because I originally loved it. And now I see the fundamental faults within it. I recently rewatched it today. And I do think that 
the first act of Lame is is not good just because I don't think the direction in this film is good at all. Um, the live singing aspect is good on paper, but if you don't have actors that know how to live sing musical theater, especially within a show that is all singing, that's more of an opera, it really can hurt the music because they can think it's more interpretation and more manipulation instead of actually singing the song. So therefore, the film is extremely better and it kind of feels like two different films once you get musical theater experienced actors in these roles which happens within act two so i hate act one i love act two i'm indifferent on act three um i see a lot of faults but i really do love as nicole says i love those people within act two because they are lame as and as a theater buff you know these people you see the videos you interact with them on social media so I'm here for them, and I think they deliver phenomenal, phenomenal performances, which kind of makes me wonder what they would have done if they had a director that knew how to direct live singing actors in a musical. Okay, wow. Um, I guess my relationship with this really is so much simpler. <laughs> um, I had heard the music in high school because I was in theater in high school, and if you were a theater kid and you did not know anything about Les Mis, then you needed to kick yourself out of the program. That's just the way it went. So I knew the music. I had never seen the show and I had never seen any production of the show before. So watching Les Mis, the movie, the 2012 film, was actually like the first time I ever saw any of the music put to visual. Now, with that said, I feel that when we talk about Tom Hooper's direction of this film, which I've heard a lot of you all cite here. I do think that there is a lot of nuance to this conversation and that there are a lot of factors involved. Some of it is casting. Some of it is the decision to do the live singing, as mentioned earlier. And also some of it is Danny Cohen, the cinematographer, who also previously shot The King's Speech and has gone on to shoot uh, The Danish Girl for Tom Hooper as well. And he's done other films besides that. Like, he's done Room, Victorian Abdul, Florence Foster Jenkins. Danny Cohen is a pretty versatile DP, but for some reason, when he works with Tom Hooper, oh man, those compositions. I've never seen anything like it in my life. Now, you put that together with what was seemingly a rushed post-production, the editing of this movie to juxtapose some of these shot selection choices up against one another uh, for what is essentially a over two and a half hour long straight musical. There is no dialogue that isn't sung in this movie, as, at least uh, as far as I can tell. No, there is definitely some yeah? non-sung dialogue going There on. shouldn't be, yeah. but there is. Yeah. There's, yeah. There's, I always felt like they were still singing it to a certain extent. There's around 10 lines of scripted dialogue, but some actors manipulated the songs to make it spoken. Okay. Well, it's very interesting the way that they do it, because to me, when I watch this movie, I almost feel like I go into a daze and I just feel like everybody's singing the whole time at a certain point. This has actually only been my second time that I've ever seen this film, because I really did not like this when I saw it in the movie theater back in 2012. Really did not enjoy it. I thought the cinematography was some of the worst I had ever seen in a major film that cost this much money. And granted, it's not like $100 million. It's still $61 million production budget here. Uh, but also, too, we're talking a lot about these performances here. 
And I, you know, I'm mixed. Obviously, I agree with everybody that says, like, the Broadway performers and the people that are actually real professional singers are the best of the bunch. I totally agree with that. But then some of the others, I don't know. Like, Hugh Jackman's performance does work for me. I think I have more issues with his singing than I do his acting in this. And I think Anne Hathaway does a really good job, but she's, I think, helped by the fact that her screen time is actually very, very uh, small in this uh, due to the nature of the role of Fontaine. So it's definitely a bit of a mixed bag. Uh, Russell Crowe, I, I think, is atrocious casting and should never have been anywhere near this role and this style of singing, period. I don't think it benefits uh, what Javert, especially when you watch the... Um, the, the concert versions that Dan was alluding to earlier, and you could see how much potential there is in that role to command the screen in such a way that Tom Hooper like wanted a star like Russell Crowe to be able to do that just for the sake of his presence on camera. But his performance in this to me is one note. It's completely bland. And I just never, ever got the sense of gravitas or power uh, that granted he has shown us in other roles before but was seemingly non-existent here. I just feel really bad for Russell Crowe in this movie. He got beat up a bit, yeah. Well, no, but, like, just just his presence in this movie and the history of it, like, if you remember, like, they went, they all did, like, a million interviews about how this movie was made and all this stuff, and if you listen to him, he was so concerned about getting this right because he knew that his voice was not, like, perfect for this part he went to like four different singing teachers to prepare for this. And honestly, I think that's where he messed up a bit because his singing is just not up to the task. And I know that he was like purposely seeing teachers so that because he knew that his voice wasn't up to the task. And I feel bad that like he put in all this work and didn't, see any result from it because he just he just never should have been cast in this part i genuinely think that he is doing the best he could but you can hear it right from the first frame his voice is just not his voice while it's a good voice in like you know for a rock band it is not a good voice for this music Hey everyone, sorry to interrupt, but this is a preview of our full-length review for Les Miserables here on the Next Best Picture podcast. In order to get the full, over two-hour-long review, you will have to head on over to Next Best Picture's Patreon, where for $1 minimum a month, you will get the rest of this review and other exclusive podcast content from us as well. You have been listening to the Next Best Picture podcast. We are proud to be part of the Evergreen Podcast Network, and you can subscribe to us anywhere where you subscribe to podcasts. Be sure to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and let us know what you think of the show. We really appreciate your feedback and your support. Thank you so much for listening, as always, and we shall see you all next time. Guardian of a child named...
Cos- cassette? Cos- no, that's a tape. Cos- you watched the movie oh my God. a million times. Hi, I'm Christina Yerling Biro, host of the podcast Pop Culture Confidential. Join me as I go way behind the scenes with some of the most influential people in entertainment and media. Hear actors such as Succession's Brian Cox talk about his favorite characters to play. There always has to be a mystery. The audience have to be in a situation where they want to know what's going on. Meet studio execs like Pixar chief Pete Docter and learn his secret on how he makes us cry. Emotion is our first language. And so many others who are defining popular culture, from Obama speechwriter David Litt to Top Chef host Padma Lakshmi. We don't often think about food politically or we don't want to, but it really is. Join me. Search for Pop Culture Confidential wherever you get your podcasts.